when you ask Ted Elliott what gets him excited, the answer is a simple one, DevOps. As the CEO of Capado, Ted is helping companies around the world realize how DevOps can assist their organizations, even if they don't understand how to code. Ted joined IT Visionaries to discuss exactly how Capado is helping to democratize DevOps. Plus, Ted details how his platform, in assistance with Salesforce, is aiding in the fight against COVID-19 through contact tracing. Enjoy this episode. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. This podcast is created by the team at mission.org. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, host of IT Visionaries. And today we have special guest, Ted, what is going on? Hi, how are you? Uh, what's going on? DevOps. DevOps is what's going on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, indeed. Uh, excited to talk DevOps today and, and your background. So let's get into it. How'd you get started in technology? Uh, my father was a programmer in the 1960s, and he brought home a Vector Graphics 64, which had 64K of RAM. And I thought it was really cool. He thought his um, daisy wheel printer was cool. I thought having a computer in the house when I was eight was cool. So that's how I, I kind of got into technology. And growing up in San Francisco in the 80s and the you know in the 90s, uh, it's uh, it's kind of part of the the way of of the city. Yeah. So flash forward to today. Tell me a little bit about Capato. Yeah. So I uh, was running the a third ISV on the Salesforce ecosystem, a company called Job Science. I just sold it. One of my friends uh, said, hey, do you want to go to dinner with these two guys from Spain? They're doing DevOps for Salesforce. And I said, uh, I'm going to Australia for a month and I don't know if I'm coming back. And he said, no, no, just come to dinner. You're really going to like what these guys are doing. So we went to dinner and they started talking to me about how people buy Salesforce and they have real struggles with deployment. And I had lived that because we had done some of the first and largest deployments of Salesforce at Job Science as a partner. And I'd seen the problems that, that uh, large companies have in, in doing deployments. And I remember one social media network that will remain unnamed that has the a word book in it. Um, the CIO said to me, um, I don't understand Salesforce as a, a platform. You can't do deployments, multiple deployments in the day without everything breaking. And so I asked these guys over dinner, I'm like, tell me how you can do deployments in Salesforce without everything breaking. And they said, well, you need to have guardrails and you need to have a system. And that's what DevOps is. And so I said, can I invest in the company? They said, no. They said, if you give us advice, maybe we'll let you be on the board. So I joined the board of the company. And then they asked me to, to join the company. I, I can't say I've had more fun in the last uh, 16 months at the company than I've had in the last 20 years of working. Uh, it's been a joy. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about uh, you know the company and what you all, uh, where you're building towards, where you're at right now. Yeah. So basically the core thing that we're trying to solve at Capado is the ability for people to not have to have release days. And the key to not having a release day is releasing a little code every day. And what we've done is taken tools that act as a hub and allow you to take uh, things like Jira and your Git repository, whether it's GitHub or GitLab or Bitbucket, take your sandboxes, take all the different tools you're using in the development process, your testing tools, maybe Tricentis, Tosca, and link them together. And what we do is we maintain user stories that keep all these things in sync. So imagine you're a ship and you're passing through the canal of development 
we're the gates that you cross as you're crossing through that canal. And we keep everything in sync to make sure that your journey is going to go well. And so that you don't end up on the last day of the quarter when you're supposed to push a release and have everything break. And at the core, it's really a communications tool, an automation tool, and an analysis tool to really understand what's going on in your business. And, and to date, most people used to outsource DevOps to the lowest paid person in a foreign country that no one really paid attention to. And then they were shocked when everything broke. That's really changing. Uh, and we're, we're kind of leading that change. Where do you think the, the state of DevOps is right now? The current state of DevOps is evolving. So I think DevOps has existed for you know the last seven to 10 years, but the concept of enterprise DevOps, which is DevOps for SAP, DevOps for Salesforce, DevOps, where you have to work with a black box, where you don't get to control all the pieces in the black box, this is new. And I think this is really creating a lot of stress for traditional DevOps users who are like, oh, we'll just put Jenkins in place and we'll follow best practices because all of a sudden you're starting to deal with systems that are fairly complicated and are low-code platforms that are specifically built for non-coders to work with. And this is a challenge because historically, DevOps has been coders for coders using complex tools that coders understand. Well, now you're introducing a whole new group of people uh, into the equation, and it's a bit more complicated. And uh, this is part of what we're doing is basically democratizing DevOps by making it so that the Salesforce administrator or the end user can actually push code to their own branch and work with everybody else without actually having to understand how Git works or understanding you know, how to maintain their user stories across multiple pieces of technology. So I think we're, we're in this stage of evolution. If you look at GitLab and you look at ZB Labs, you look at a lot of companies that are sort of on the cutting edge of general DevOps, they're going there, but we're actually moving faster within the Salesforce ecosystem than a lot of these companies because we operate in a closed garden. And so as the market is increasing, as there's more traction in, in the DevOps community, how does a solution like Capato kind of work into that? Obviously, you're, you know, you're building with Salesforce in mind. So, you know, these time to value projects, I'm curious, like, what are these projects looking like in the past versus now? Yeah. So I think uh, if you looked at three years ago, um, everyone was trying to wing it. You usually had multiple SIs involved in a project. You had Salesforce, you might have your own team of developers and everyone was told it's easy. You, you know, you don't need to have all this infrastructure for DevOps because it's low code. And I think what's happened is as you have, if you're a CIO and you have hundreds of Salesforce orgs and you have code that's all over the place and you don't know what people have been doing, you really have to move to a system in which you can catalog your journey and you need the tools to make it so that you're not spending all your time cataloging. You're spending your time building, but you're keeping track of what's going on. And so what we usually do is we'll come into projects where there are multiple parties involved in it and we'll make it so that they are following a set of rules. We'll train them on how to execute those rules, but they're basically uh, respecting each other when it comes to how they deploy, how they check in code, how they check for conflicts, how they bug check, what they're doing from a compliance perspective. And really the result of this is it will reduce the time to deliver by 30, 40%, but it will really make sure that when you do deliver, your customers are happy and they're also um, getting it in a way that you can iterate. Um, because one of the big things with a product like Salesforce is that you're not just buying a monolith waterfall product that gets delivered and you're done. The beauty of Salesforce is the ability to iterate once you've delivered it and make adjustments. And if you don't have the right framework in place to be able to make those rapid adjustments, you're really going to miss the expectations of the business. The business has been sold on speed and ease and trust. And if you can't deliver with speed and it's not easy, you stop trusting it. 
And that's when it becomes really difficult for the business side that doesn't even want to know that DevOps exists. It makes it very difficult for them to want to change. And that's your real challenge in software is getting people to want to make a change in their own behavior. So who are the types of folks and companies that you're working with? What are the uh, what are the people within the organizations and like how big a size implementations are we looking at here? Yeah. So generally, we're, we have two products. We have uh, a product called Click Deploy or Capato Essentials that's really targeted to uh, small teams with less than five developers. And it's really just built to make change sets easier. And it's a very small part of our business, but we do it because we want to serve the entire Salesforce ecosystem. The core Capato Enterprise product is really designed for teams of at least 10, for folks who are spending at least you know $600,000 up to $50 million a year on Salesforce licensing, where they have hundreds of orgs, they have lots of complexity, they need to bring their teams together. And so if you look at a company like Linde or Coca-Cola, or you, know, you can go to our website and see hundreds of brands uh, that, that we're working with, it's the largest customers that Salesforce has that have the most risk, that have the most challenges. And those are the companies that we're, we're really helping make a difference in because uh, they are stuck generally usually in situations where they haven't had a DevOps infrastructure or the one they had just wasn't working for them, or they tried to homebrew something and the homebrew kind of fell apart when the person leading the homebrew left. And we've come in and made it so that they can consistently release. They can have certainty about what's going on. They know when something breaks, they can track back to where it broke. And that gives them a tremendous amount of control over speed and quality which ultimately returns trust to the platform. Yeah. And so, you know, obviously DevOps being, you know, somewhat newer, are you traditionally working with like CIOs and, you know, CTOs or, or who are the folks that are implementing that are using the product? Yeah. So it's an evolution. Um, generally, what we see is that the first people to call us are the folks with the challenge. Those are going to be your bench level developers, your managers of projects. And they're usually starting off with a proof of a concept type project. Maybe it's one of their Salesforce orgs or one division of their business. But what we've been seeing more and more over the last six months is large organizations are coming to us and saying, hey, this worked and now we want to go wall to wall. And when the investment in Capato starts to become a high six-figure and seven-figure investment, you're definitely getting the CIO and the CTO and even the CFO understanding that we exist and what we can do for them. And kind of our big initiative around those users is to think about what are their problems. And their problems are generally compliance, security, and efficiency, and probably in that order. And so we ended up building a tool that we just released actually called DevOps 360. And the purpose of that product is to tie into all the different systems you're using for deployment and technology development and be able to actually report back to you value stream maps that show you exactly what it's costing when you fail, what it's costing when you succeed, how much benefit you're getting into the organization, pinpointing which teams are succeeding, which teams are failing, pointing out where you have testing risk, pointing out where you have compliance risk, and tying that all into a a Tableau-based dashboard that gives people very good visibility into exactly what's going on in their business. And the reason we built that is that we saw as our average deal size was just skyrocketing and the type of people paying attention to what we were doing was changing from a director or a manager to a VP or a C-level decision maker those decision makers have a different set of priorities and they want to understand different things. And they want in spirit to do DevOps, but they don't actually be involved in the tactical setup of DevOps. They want to understand how it's going to impact their business, how it's going to change their life, how it's going to make them more successful. And so our tool set is really reacting to our buying set and to the needs of our buyers. You know, I'm curious. So you all just rolled out a government cloud 
you know, I'm curious, how does that change though for, you know, government agencies uh, versus, you know, private sector? Yeah. So I think what's amazing is Salesforce is exploding in the government and health life science space. Okay. And uh, what we've seen is that we have a large customer in the government space that takes care of veterans. And uh, that large customer said, we want to sponsor you for FedRAMP certification. But we have this problem, which is we have all these different players and all these different people that need to become more efficient if we're going to deliver digital transformation. And we need to make sure it's not going to break. And we need to have a, a system that we can sort of unite all the different parties because we have a lot of needs. And so we were brought into that project really to help orchestrate a symphony of different players and coordinate them. So, I mean, think of developers as each playing a different instrument. And if they don't play in unison, it sounds like noise. Compato basically acts as the uh, orchestrate process so that whoever's conducting the orchestra can move people along and make sure they're not running into each other. And that's probably more important than the government than almost any other space because they're, they're moving at scale, they're affecting people's lives, and they're trying to bring efficiency to what they're doing. And they don't really have a lot of room for failure, especially like in COVID tracking. We're working with multiple states on their COVID tracking. You say, why is DevOps important for COVID tracking? Because it just, you cannot afford to have COVID tracking break. You can't go down for a day or two and have it not work. You need to be able to trace everybody who's been impacted, rapidly get to them, track that you know where they are. And that's super important. And those are a lot of the type of projects um, that we've, we've been um, asked to join. And actually, uh, we've been really excited about being able to impact because we've, we're seeing that the large SIs and, and the people we work with are recognizing that it's very important to set up your DevOps infrastructure not after it's broken, but before you start. Yeah. So can you kind of expand on that a little bit? Because I think, you know, the government examples are really interesting. Yes. So take, for example, the state of Massachusetts basically was one of the first movers in setting up uh, COVID tracing on Salesforce, Accenture leading the project. They approached us and said, hey, we're trying something new. We're trying to do um, uh, tracing on Salesforce, and we want to make sure that this doesn't go wrong. We want to make sure that if we have to move quickly and our teams have to scale rapidly to build this and deliver it, that we have something that will allow us to pull that off. And so they came to us and said, we'd like to use Compato. Do you guys want to be in? And we got involved in that. And then what we've seen is a number of other states following their example and saying, hey, this is really working and it's a product that we can't afford to go wrong with. And it's a product we can't afford to go down. And the whole community is relying on this being something that helps us get control of the virus. And that's where we fit in. We're kind of like, um, we're like, I don't know, do you remember those old ads from the 80s about BASF? Maybe you don't. We're kind of like the Freon in the refrigerator. You don't necessarily know that we're there, but we're what's keeping your food cold. And when it comes to you know tracing or tracking or using Salesforce, you may not realize that we're unlocking digital transformation, but we're making the digital transformation possible because things work. And it's really important to maintain trust and velocity for it to work and when it fails, to be able to quickly turn around and fix it. And it doesn't mean that people will stop making mistakes. It means when they make a mistake, you can rapidly fix it. Well, as someone who spent uh, you know, a decade in the, in the military, I can tell you that uh, it is super critical to be able to enhance what you know, those systems are doing. I mean, I think if we're not fixing things quickly and if we're not responding quickly, like that's you know, the hallmark of, uh, of what we need to be done. 
but not always the hallmark of the government is to be able to move quickly uh, and make change. Yeah. And sometimes it's the little changes that can make the biggest difference. But the promise of Salesforce and why I believe Salesforce has been such a, um, a market disruptor in digital transformation is the ability for someone who's maybe not traditionally a programmer or maybe someone who's not traditionally what you would think of as leading the project, but has had the experience of carrying the bucket um, saying, hey, there's how we could build this. Here's how we could design this. How, here's how we could solve this. And in fact, that's pretty much what I did in my last company is that we, we basically said, hey, recruiting is just like selling. Why don't we take the Salesforce platform and see if we can and do this? And we did it and we were successful doing it and we created a, a successful company and sold it. And all of a sudden we said, wait, but we're still on this mission to make it so other people can do this too. And the beauty is being able to make adjustments as you go along because that's really how we get better. Yeah. So let's talk about Salesforce for a second. Obviously, they're the amazing sponsor of the show. But like, where's the next kind of phase in the evolution of how you see all of this playing out? Because you mentioned the low-code tools. You mentioned, you know, the implementation times shrinking. I mean, it seems to me like, you know, just about every company in the Fortune 1000 pluses has Salesforce somewhere in their org at this point. You know, obviously not, not every product in the suite or anything, but but you know, where do you see the changes coming up in the future? So I think that there are uh, a number of factors that are impacting people's decision-making right now about what tools they're going to use. And the big sea change I've seen is that if you asked 10 years ago whether you could connect SAP to Salesforce, Salesforce was kind of at the knee of SAP trying to get their cooperation to integrate. I think someone pointed out to me in a recent article that the folks at SAP finally acknowledged they have to connect to Salesforce. And I think what you're seeing in digital transformation is the folks who are driving digital transformation may not have the majority of the IT budget, but they're going to have the majority of the IT budget once they're successful with the transformation. And ultimately, they're taking on really big ideas and they're taking on really big challenges. And Salesforce is kind of at the forefront of, hey, we're the platform where you can actually impact your dreams. And as they go there, what we're going to see is more system integration Maybe this is part of the reason MuleSoft has been so successful is people are going to tie together their ERP and their CRM and their website and all these different tools are going to be, need to be interlinked. And as they're interlinked, they're all going to have their own complexities that are unique to them because they are low code or less than you know full code products. Uh, you can't just you know put your hand in them and pull out the parts you don't want and put in the parts you do want. And that's where having DevOps and tooling like Capado really comes in is the ability to smooth that out and make sure that the, they can actually be delivered. What I call the final mile, kind of think about when the cable guy comes to your house, that's when it actually impacts you, not when they're laying the fiber optic down the street. And so that final mile is, is where we're focused because we're convinced that Salesforce is going to be successful. We're convinced that the people who are bold enough to want to do these digital transformation exercises have traditional challenges that people software have always had, which is change management. But the key to that, that change management is the ability that when someone complains about something or it's not working, that you can rapidly respond, right? That rapid response, that ability to tweak is going to be the why Salesforce is really the best alternative you have. Because if you look at most other systems, they don't have the ability to let you tweak. Now, some might argue that Salesforce makes the easy stuff difficult and makes the impossible stuff easy. Maybe that's the case, but that's Again, where as you figure out what you're trying to do and you, if you have the right tooling and you make the right investments, you can be successful. And so, so I really think that you're going to see in the future of Salesforce that the person who does delivery and does that final mile is going to become the new hero of the organization. 
that hero may be a continuation of the Salesforce administrator. It may be a new character who pops up uh, in the band of the Salesforce organization or in the deployment organization. But that's that's really where I see them going. And I think they're going to continue taking market share away from all their competitors because there is a sense of can-do, a sense of innovation, and a sense of capturing sort of the spirit of the individual in getting it right. And that is something that's unique um, in Salesforce versus other software available in the marketplace. You recently uh, shared an interesting article about you know roadblocks for DevOps. Can you kind of share like what do you think the roadblocks are for DevOps? Sure. I think there are three that the article called out and I've lived them. So the first is silos. What was amazing to me is I had a team that was in Uruguay, a team that was in Belarus and a team in the US when I was at Job Science. And I went to that team one day and I'm like, how are you guys managing these processes? It seems like things are breaking. I, I just don't get it. One team was like, well, we're going to use Jira. Jira is the answer. Um, we'll maintain everything in Jira. And you just need to get those other two teams to realize they need to use Jira. And then we had another team that's like, oh, we're going to use GitHub and we should really maintain everything at GitHub. And we should get, actually, let's get rid of Jira um, because you, know, you should really do everything at GitHub. And you should really tell those other guys that they should be operating in Jira. And then I had a third team that's like, we should build our own product. We shouldn't use GitHub or Jira. We'll come up with our own way to solve the problems. And so it's these silos where everyone knows the tools they know and they don't necessarily want to make a change. And a lot of the people who've been around before are like, well, you can't fix that. That's just the way it is. You have to accept the convention of the circumstance. And that's really old thinking, right? And that's one of the, the things that article called out. But I think that the third and most important part, and this is what we're seeing is why DevOps has to be a movement and a methodology as opposed to a product, um, is that change management is the key. You can't just buy a set of tools and hope the tools work. You have to have people who believe in doing it better, who don't like to wake up the night before the science project and do their project, who are thinking weeks out in advance about what's going to be going live, when it's going to be going live, and making sure that the organization can be successful. And I think that change management, and we've trained over 10,000 people this year on how to use Capato, and we're going to train 20,000 by the end of the year. We found that like 60% of the people who are training are in India, because that's the hub of worldwide DevOps today on Salesforce. I think it's actually the hub of worldwide DevOps, period. And we're seeing a hunger for learning. We're seeing a hunger for process. And we're seeing a hunger for success. And when people realize they can have the success, I mean, I remember I was at a trade show and some people came up to me from a large insurer in Texas that has a lot of people in the military that use their insurance, but I can't use their name. And they were like, you've changed our whole business. We want to go wall to wall with this. And when you meet people that you've empowered to be successful, it empowers you and it takes your whole game to another level. So that's what gets me really excited every morning when I wake up is realizing that we do something that most people will never understand or even need to understand, but we're, we're making it so that, that people can realize their aspirations. And I think that's why this is such a, a powerful space. And quite frankly, it's why our business is exploding because we know people are having challenges here and we know that, that they're hearing that we solve those challenges. You mentioned the need for resources for DevOps. Obviously, you all are investing a ton in that. Can you kind of talk about just like, you know, what you're doing, why you're investing in developing resources and content and, and that talent pipeline? Yeah. So I don't believe you can sell people DevOps. I don't think I can say, please, can I sell you some DevOps? I think what you have to do is you have to look at it as a, a methodology like a Six Sigma or Agile or even like a sales methodology like Miller-Hyman. But you have to basically say, this is a methodology, right? And what we're going to do is basically get you to either follow the methodology, which is to document what you're doing as you do it, 
to follow best practices, to ensure that you think about your co-developers, that you communicate to people. And we're going to teach you how to do that. And then we're going to provide you the tooling to actually execute the methodology. And I think when you treat it that way, you're really showing people how to feed themselves and you're giving them their first fishing rod, right? And as long as you go back to them and you keep adding more value and you stay focused on over-delivering customer success to them, making sure that they're actually able to deploy their projects, going the extra mile when it's not expected, that's when all of a sudden they start to have success. And we built a community. And my favorite part about our community is that our customers are solving each other's problems, even before our, our support team can get to a lot of those problems. Our training program has been focused on just give the training away, get people to engage, teach them that there's a better way of doing business. And that has been very powerful because it transcends making money. Okay. And, you know, I was telling uh, the folks uh, prior to the radio show who were warming me up about the fact that I had cancer last year and I almost died of cancer. And I was trying to think about, well, you know, when you're dying of cancer, you can't really take a lot of stuff with you. So you can't take money with you and you can't take fancy car with you and you can't take your boat with you. And you certainly can't pack your houses into the coffin, right? So it really forces you to step back and think, well, what am I trying to do with my life? And I, I ultimately determined that what I wanted to do was make it so that no one had to stay up until four in the morning worrying about delivering software. A problem I have had over the last 20 years in the industry is I may not be a coder, but I never leave the coders by themselves at four in the morning hoping they're going to deliver because I don't leave the ship until they leave the ship. And so with that being a driver, when I first joined Capato, they showed me a poster they made that said it was a release day and I got to go home for dinner. And at first I was like, why is that important? It's a release day. I got to, I go, no one goes home for dinner on release days. And the, the beauty of it was that we're going to teach people how to do things in such a way that they can go home and they can see their families on a release day because they've already got it by the time they get there. Capato's about, we've got your back. We've got you successful. And that's, that's really you know, a big deal to me because that's something that will leave a mark on people for generations, will change the world versus you know, things that honestly will have very little meaning to me when I'm not here anymore. Yeah, that's really cool. I uh, and thanks for sharing that. I I think it is. It's such a great reminder because you know time's the most precious asset we have. And if your business is about giving people their time back, giving people their family lives back, and decreasing stress in their life, it's it's extremely valuable, right? The hard thing is to make sure that whoever's buying the product understands that they're making that impact for the people on their team, right? I agree. And I think why this is important for CIO or a CTO to think about is at the end of the day, what we're going to be doing for Salesforce users is giving them the same type of analytics and dashboards that they get in their customer success team and they get in their sales team. Because ultimately, the way you make people better is by being honest and accountable. And part of what DevOps does is it allows you to hold people accountable. It allows you to see where things are broken. You can't fix a development team when no one's wrong. You can't fix code when no one makes mistakes. You can't fix things when everyone's a genius. Um, my dad loves to joke about uh, Lake Wobegon where everyone's above average. And he says, do you know what it means when everyone's above average? It means everyone's average. So by bringing analytics to bear, think like DevOps 360 and giving those tools to the CIO, they can do what their job is intended to do, which is lead and decide and influence. And that's the second side of this methodology is embracing transparency and embracing accountability. And I think those messages, one, we're going to train you and teach you so you can go home and be with your family for dinner. And the second thing is, 
we're going to hold people accountable so we can help them be better and determine who probably shouldn't be there at all. Those are essentials to make us better. So you mentioned, um, you know, India being a hub for DevOps right now. Can you kind of expand on like what folks who are listening to this show, what are listeners, how can they tap into that talent pool? What are the stuff that they can do or to the talent pool that you all are helping foster and create at Capado? Because I think that that's another piece to it. Yeah. So we've actually partnered with a couple of staffing companies specifically to train their staff who are Salesforce administrators to actually understand DevOps. And we're making available people who go through our trainings, we're giving them access to opportunities. And we're going to be building out um, the ability for people to post that they're looking for DevOps specialists. Because the most important thing for us to do as a company is once we train you, having a certificate is pretty worthless. Having a job is meaningful, right? And we believe that these people exist everywhere in every country. And it's amazing um, to me. I, I don't know if you know the Grateful Dead. Maybe I'm uh, dating myself. But the first time we did a training in Bangalore, it was like a Grateful Dead show. There were literally people lined up two blocks around like a dead show, trying to get into WeWork to get training. And it was really inspiring in, in a lot of ways. We filled up every possible room they had in the WeWork facility. And I think we had something like 1,200 people at the first training we did, and we did no advertising, right? Wow. So it kind of gives you a sense of the appetite for learning and the appetite for knowledge in that audience. But what I found is key is how do we get those people their next job? And I was on a call recently, actually, with the CIO of a large tire company. And, they, and she said, I don't know who you guys are. I just know that I keep on going online and seeing all my staff is getting certified on your product. And people keep on telling me to take a look at this. And I think that's what's happening out there. Uh, and what we're trying to do is make sure that you know Salesforce skills are in demand already. DevOps skills on top of Salesforce are going to be the most in demand. And how do we make sure that those people are ready and available and can get out to, uh, to end users? And so we're getting them into the global SIs. We're getting them directly into employers. And we're also, like I said, partnering up now with a number of staffing companies to make sure that they, they're taking these people and trying to help them find employment. So what's next for Capado? What's next for Capado? Uh, I think Capado is, uh, is split scaling right now. We've grown from, we took a little pause during COVID for about 60 days um, from hiring, but we're back on the sauce and we're, we're hiring again. I think uh, we'll probably have about 200 employees um, by the, uh, the end of the year. When I started, we had 30 employees in Spain about 16 months ago. One of the things that made me really happy was a lot of people who used to work for me called me up and said, I want to work for you again. And I want to finish the mission and make sure people can be successful when they use Salesforce. Can I get on board? I continue to have this. There's a buzz going on out there where people realize this is a hot space and they want to be part of something big. I think Capado is going multi-cloud. And what I mean by multi-cloud is the ability to support not only the core Salesforce clouds of service and sales, but to support MuleSoft, to support Demandware, uh, to support SAP. That's where we're headed. And we're doing that because we're seeing that um, these enterprise DevOps projects are far larger than a single cloud. They're highly interconnected. And we think there's an endless opportunity to change the world. Any thoughts about, you know, look into the crystal ball, uh, trends that are exciting for you, DevOps? Uh, futuristic thoughts? Yeah. So I think that what we're going to see more and more is AI coming into the process, specifically in the testing category. I think when we look at people um, executing DevOps, if you don't put QAQC into the process, you're only halfway there. And I think increasingly what you're going to see is how do you set up quality gates? 
where more and more you can have the tool start to train itself on identifying potential exceptions. Uh, the tool AI will never allow you to figure out everything, but it will only uh, rise to your attention the things that look suspect. To the extent we can use that type of technology to identify potential failures in the future, we're going to make software better and we're going to make it so that you can deliver it even faster than before. I think that is a sort of a game changer on the horizon. And I think it's going to make compliance better. It's going to make security better, but ultimately it's going to make projects more successful. And I think if you look at our roadmap, we were focused on how to start introducing AI into the picture. We're right now introducing analytics, which we think is the key, is the foundational piece, the whole pie. And then, you know, beyond those, those two items, I'd say the other thing that we're, we're kind of looking at uh, along uh, the DevOps roadmap, you know, because honestly, just getting the analytics and the AI right is a pretty big deal. Uh, but if you, if you go beyond that, it's really figuring out how the interconnectivity between these systems impact each other. And I think what you'll start seeing from us is something called the ops exchange. Maybe we'll call it something different, but it will be the ability, just like the app exchange, to go and say, you know, I'm using Tibco for my uh, analytics suite. I want to tie that to my SAP database. And I need to make sure if I make a change in SAP that I don't break all the connections to Tibco. So why don't I set up some automation, some quality gates? Well, oh, you know, Capato hasn't come up with every imagination of how to do this. Maybe I could go to the Capato exchange and I could download a plugin that some other developers have built and share it and use that so that I can go faster and better without having to create everything on my own. And I think that's, that's ultimately, we see ourselves as an analytics platform, a communications platform, an automation platform but one that goes the final mile. Traditional ETLs, traditional tools that are there, they usually have not focused on taking you all the way to the doorstep. We think that part of the way we make our customers successful is you know, finishing the journey. Okay, let's get into our lightning round. Our lightning round, as always, is brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. I don't need to tell you this, Ted. You live it every day. But for our listeners who don't, check out salesforce.com slash platform. Check them out. They're the best. Uh, been with us since the first episode of this show, salesforce.com slash platform. Lightning round questions. Ted, are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, do you have a habit or hobby that you picked up in short-term place? I love to sail. And with COVID, I've been doing virtual sailing on virtual regatta. We have virtual regattas occasionally at Capado. And I've gotten a bunch of people into enjoying sailing, even if it's digital. I did not even know. My friend is a sailor, but I did not know about the virtual regatta. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. You can just download it on your phone and people can play it. And we, we actually set up Zoom meetings so that uh, people who don't even want to sail can watch the race and have a cocktail, just like real sailing. Well, yeah, there you go. Do you have a TV show, a podcast, or a book that you've been binging this past few months? I think I've watched every episode of Shark Tank there is, but if it's Silicon Valley, Shark Tank, and The Profit are my top three, I love the concept of people, process, and product. And so Marcus Limonis, uh, is, uh, is I'm a big fan of watching his show. I'm not sure I'd want him as a business partner, but uh, I certainly like watching how he goes in and helps people turn their business around. I can't do it. It's too much work for me. <laughs> I, I think the shows are great. I just like, it's too, it's like working, right? And you, you see that stuff. And I just, I don't think I can turn that part of my brain off. So I, I get no uh, enjoyment from it. It's just like, oh, geez, 
is 15 more things I need to work on my business. Yeah, I, I hear you. Uh, I, I will try and watch Shark Tank with my 11 year old because I'm trying her to trying to get her to understand what it means when someone says no, or if you don't do your homework, how people actually are not going to give you their money. And so uh, for me, it's it's sort of a time for me to sit with my kids and try and teach them something uh, because I'm not a very good homeschooler right now. You know, it's funny. I actually, I think that all of those things, I think it's so great. I think that like I've, I'm kind of, you know, different than other folks on this. I think the whole like entrepreneurship thing is actually really cool. I think there's parts of it that are negative, but but by and large, it's like if it's so cool to be an entrepreneur that people are like kind of faking it and like just going to the events and doing those sort of things, like, you know, hey, at least somebody gets to figure out that it's not for them. But I think it's one of the things that is super empowering in this day and age. And obviously, like, especially with everything going on societally, it's like, I think, you know, we need more access to capital. We need more, you know, investors. We need more diversity. We need more of all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, it comes down to the entrepreneurs like taking the first step. And that first step is super hard. So if they have some people that, you know, they can have as, as models uh, to do that is, is a great thing for America. That's for sure. Well, I grew up in a household where my dad helped start companies for 30 years and I saw the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, I think I'm just trying to pass on to my kids uh, some of the learnings I got from my dad. Okay. Next question in our lightning, lightning fast round. <laughs> this is super fast. <laughs> yeah. There you go. So if you weren't in technology at all, what do you think you'd be doing? I wasn't in technology at all. I'd probably be washing cars or uh, having garage sales um, because I like to sell things. Um, but I, uh, you know, I took six months off between Capado and my last company. And I have to tell you, it was the worst six months of my life because I didn't have a clear idea of what I was trying to accomplish. And you could probably give me a spoon and tell me to go dig a dirt hole. And as long as I thought that hole was worth digging, I'd be perfectly happy doing that. I think it's so important that we have purpose. Uh, one of the worst things I think about what's going on with COVID right now is that we have 15 million Americans who are out of a job and they're questioning their purpose. And the damage of that is far deeper than uh, anything else I think that's impacting us. And so to me, you know, I, I know I'm not answering your question, but, but I, I could pretty much do anything as long as it gave me a sense of, of purpose. What's your best advice for a first-time CEO? Uh, my, my best advice is to listen and to realize that you control nothing, but you can influence everything. That the key, uh, and I didn't necessarily do this in the past, and so it was good to have a break and think about it. There are things you can do when you've had success and you've made a lot of money that you can't do when you haven't. And it's the freedom to make mistakes. It's the freedom to make decisions because you realize that no, no decision is the worst decision. One of the things about having, I think I mentioned I got sick last year, I realized I don't have all the time in the world. So right now I would rather fail fast. And I know fail fast is some BS that people talk about in the Valley, but it's real. But it's everyone can't fail fast because some people don't have a cushion of cash to fall onto. Okay. Once you have had that success and you're not worried, the money's not scaring you, that's when your creative juices go to a whole different level. And that's very hard for a first-time entrepreneur because a lot of times it's your own money. It's your own risk. If this doesn't work, what am I going to do next? The more you can divorce yourself from the fear of failure and you can embrace failure as something that if I can figure it out quickly, it's a quick fail and I can move on. And partly that's just like DevOps. When I make a mistake, can I fix it quickly and recover? That's what I would argue is the most important thing for any executive, a new CEO, anyone to think about is how do I make sure that I don't get stale? Keep it frosty. 
What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? Are you having a good day, Ted? The CEO is the loneliest job in the world because you're like the laughing clown. Uh, you have to cry on the inside and laugh on the outside. And I think the, the, the thing that I rarely ever get is how are you doing? And I'm okay with that. But I think uh, once in a while, if you're listening to this and you're not the CEO, go up to the CEO and just ask, how are they doing? How are you doing? How's your day? How's your family? Those are the things that are much more important in life. Those are the really important questions. Great advice. Ted, that's it. That's all we got for today. Uh, any final thoughts? Thank you so much. Uh, no, I, I've really enjoyed it. I think the questions were great. And I think that I just appreciate the opportunity to speak to you. Awesome. Ted, thanks so much for joining. Take care. Take care. Thanks so much. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com platform. <laughs>